Hi everyone, welcome back to Attention to Detail. This is Jacob. I'm joined today by a return guest, one of my close friends, fellow conductor, Alex Amsel, who has who appeared on one of our Mahler breakdowns, and he is back to break down. We're kind of doing this series of lesser-known symphonies or pieces, and Alex suggested the piece that we're going to break down today, and so maybe I'll let you uh, tell us what the piece is, as well as uh, say hello again to our audience. So welcome back, uh, Alex. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I know I've made it when I've gotten the return call, so <laughs> I'm back. Um, yeah, so I, I, we talked about what pieces we, we might be able to discover together with, with Jacob um, for the audience, and uh, the, the ballet, The Wooden Prince by Bella Bartok. Uh, came to mind. It's uh, one of his lesser-known works, but not undeserving of a lot of attention and and recognition. Nonetheless, uh, it's one of his earlier uh, works through through his lifetime. Um, you know, everyone is probably more familiar with the concerto for for orchestra, but this was uh, a turning point in his compositional style as a as a young composer, in which he. Um, really started caring and, and taking pride in the music of his home country of Hungary uh, as the, the First World War was, was happening and uh, he was finding new ways to, to incorporate these elements uh, through his uh, traditional compositional style, I guess. Uh, so you hear a lot of these uh, folk uh, influences as well as his formal influences that he was interested in, uh, Strauss and, and Wagner and Debussy and all those things. So it's sort of bringing both his worlds together as he develops his, his new language. And I think it's it's just a, an incredible piece, both from the intellectual studying point as well as just the, the raw emotion that he was able to captivate. Yeah, you know, I was, when you suggested this piece, I, I certainly knew of, of the piece, The Wooden Prince, and I kind of knew it as... Uh, a piece, a lesser known piece of Bartok's that some people always talked about as being this incredible piece. And I had, as a result, I had listened to it a few times, but I think I hadn't really given it the necessary time of day because I was a little suspicious. And in prepping for this podcast, I have found it actually to be an incredibly interesting piece. And I think we haven't covered a lot of bar talk on this podcast we generally don't cover composers specific works on this podcast but bar talk i think is a pretty underrated composer in many ways he's he's really one of the great great masters of all time and certainly one of the great modernist masters of all times i think the music that he writes is some of the most complex music we have in the in the classical tradition, but I think the reason why maybe you suggested this piece, Alex, is because it's also, it's not like Schoenberg, Webern, a composer like this who is really atonal, really dense, and kind of in a way hard to listen to. It's actually really listenable music. And I should mention, if you haven't already listened to our previous episode, which we did on scales and modes, that might be a good primer for this Bartok Wooden Prince review. That's why I did the, the episode earlier this week 
on those topics. If it's if you're more of a seasoned musician, you might be able to skip that, but we'll talk about some of those terms on this breakdown and it might be helpful to listen to that episode just because it gives a little bit of a clue into Bartok's kind of unique language. So with that, maybe we'll dive right into the piece. Um, I can give a really quick... Do you mind, Alex, if I just give a really quick synopsis of the of the plot? Sounds good. Okay, so uh, a prince kind of sees this princess, falls in love, but there's this other character, a fairy, who blocks him through various means um, from reaching this princess. And so to get the princess's attention, the prince builds this wooden version of himself and hangs his clothes and crown on it. And the princess sees this wooden version of the prince comes out, falls in love, comes out of her castle, falls in love with this wooden version of the prince. And so the prince falls into this deep despair. um, And the fairy finally takes pity on him and destroys the wooden prince and the princess eventually falls in love with with the wooden uh, with with the non-wooden prince the real prince and i i found this quote interestingly from the creator of this story cuz this it's a weird plot in, in my estimation and i didn't really understand why bartok chose this but according to the the writer of this the creator of this ballet um the wooden prince or the wooden puppet is supposed to symbolize the creative work of the artist who puts all of himself into his work until he has made something complete, shining, and perfect. The artist himself, however, is left robbed and poor. I was thinking of that common and profound tragedy when the creation becomes the rival of the creator and of the pain and the glory of the situation in which a woman prefers the poem to the poet, the picture to the painter." So yeah, has this ever happened to you? I feel like I can kind of relate to this particular phenomenon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we go through it every day, I think. Yeah, it's uh, this is maybe the curse of being being a musician. <laughs> Although to be fair, not that many people like my uh, my performances either. So it's uh, it goes both ways for for someone like myself. Well, that's but, why that's why you do the podcast. Though. Exactly. It's that this is my saving grace. This is like my. Backup, backup attempt at a uh, a wooden prince here. <laughs> let's give it a shot then. <laughs> yeah, all right. So let's dive right into the music. A really interesting opening to this piece. Let's listen to the very opening of the wooden prince and then we'll we'll start breaking it down.
Yeah, so a magical opening to this piece. I find it really captivating. It kind of, this is just the introduction to set the scene. But you might notice there are some, it sounds very harmonious tonal in a way, but there are some weird notes in there. And here is our first scale or mode that we want to talk about where Bartok is using, uh, that Bartok is using, that being the mixolydian mode in this case, something we talked about on our previous episode. But if we just play the scale of the mixolydian mode, what he's using here is this scale. So we get this one kind of blue note. It's a B flat that gives us all these other possibilities like this harmony. And then we hear another kind of weird note halfway through this clip where he's changed us. He's moved to another different scale, one that we talked about on our previous episode called the acoustic scale, one of the favorites of Bartok that goes like this. This one has two bluish notes. We have this, these two notes that sound a little bit out of place. But that's why this, this opening has a little bit of a mystical feel in addition to the, the dazzling orchestration. Any other thoughts on this, this opening? Yeah, I think this sort of sets the stage beautifully for, for what we're about to hear because uh, something I always like to think about with Bartok and especially in a large scale piece like this is the way he thinks about form, something that became really important to, to his works was uh, this sort of arch and the arch is followed, you know, throughout the, the, the story itself, not just the music. So he's following what the, what the writer has, has set out for him, but you, you sort of start slowly opening up the stage and you create this upwards arch with the music as it, you know, starts very, very soft and starts opening up uh, sort of into nature like that. And something that I think we'll, we'll come back to every once in a while as we hear the rest of the piece is this idea of the arch and palindrome in Bartok's music because he uses it as an overall thing. You hear uh, a palindromic form through the entire piece, but also within subsections. So I think this, this opening, as beautiful as it is, it also just sort of lets you know that he's embarking in this, uh, this arch that we're about to hear. Yeah, so that's a good point. And the, a lot of Bartok's music uses this, this arch form, as you mentioned, which, as you, meant, it, as you remarked, is kind of, it, it effectively makes a musical palindrome as opposed to, we've talked a little bit about form on this podcast before, something like a rondo is in, in A-B-A-C-A type form. An arch form would be A, B, C, B, A. So whatever you hear first comes last, whatever you hear second comes second to last, and so forth. And so we'll explore that arch form as we go through this piece. So we hear this introduction, the princess is stirring at this point, and then we come to the first real dance number. This is, after all, a ballet. This is the dance of the princess. Let's hear a little bit of her theme. Mm-hmm. 
so that being the first dance that that Jacob mentioned, and I should say as we as we go through this, obviously we can't hear uh, every part of this incredible piece on the podcast, but uh, this is one dance of seven, uh, which if you think about it again in this arch form that we think about, creates a a perfect peak right in the middle. So there's these three dances that lead up to the main one, uh, which will be at sort of the high point of the entire. Uh, piece both uh, structurally and emotionally. So this is just the first one that gets us in this in this sort of palindrome uh, feel of the seven dances. Right, and we hear for this one the the clarinet playing this kind of sinewy melody. This will be one of the. There's not many kind of motifs in this that return and represent characters, but this is one of them. This this represents the princess, and so we'll hear this at various points throughout this piece. So then let's hear a little later, the door of another castle opens and the prince arrives, our other main character. So let's hear this moment just a little later on in the piece. So here we get introduced to another really interesting tonal technique that Bartok uses very often, which is something called polytonality. And this is something that a lot of 20th century composers liked doing. We hear it really famously in, for example, Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. There's this famous chord in Stravinsky's Rite of Spring where we hear E major, E-flat major with an added note. At the same time, two different keys played at the same time, which creates this big crunching sound. And so here what we're hearing is Bartok moving very quickly through different keys. So he's not staying in the same key, but he's having multiple keys going on at the same time. So they all sound harmonious with each other, but not necessarily together. So we hear... For example, they play, and then we hear, and then, so we hear these two right next to each other. They're both harmonious by themselves, but together they kind of clash. So this is a cool technique comes throughout this piece that we get exposed to here when the prince enters the scene. So then the prince starts walking. He sets off. uh, And I want to hear a little bit of this walking music because this also appears several times. The the text in in the actual score is that he sets off on his walk hesitantly. He looks right and left while the fairy, this other character that we have, turns around and comes through the forest to meet the prince. So here's that section where he starts walking into the forest. Thank you. 
actually uh, written out sort of stage directions, which wasn't completely common at the time. He, he tells you what's happening in the ballet, in the story, uh, through the music. So it was really important to him that the music lined up exactly to uh, what was happening in the story. And that might sound like common practice to us now, but you know, back then, if you think of something like the Nutcracker Ballet or something, the, the music is composed and then uh, it's choreographed to what the composer wrote. But in, in this way, he wanted to always have the action uh, pertain to the music. So it wasn't just about the stage for him. It was, very, it was a very operatic way of approaching a ballet, I think. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a very good point. Maybe um, suggestive of the fact that uh, this should be performed with ballet, but if not, um, you know, it can be given a concert performance as well because the music is so closely related to the story. You can almost hear a lot of these story elements in the music itself. Um, so yeah, that's, that's an excellent point, and we'll hear more of that as we go along. So the princess uh, kind of stays by her castle. She's, she's resisting some of the prince's um, solicitations, and he's walking along, and he eventually uh, makes eye contact for the first time with the princess. I think he's already seen her, and he's trying to walk around her castle, but they... He locks eyes with her. She doesn't immediately notice, but he sees her. And, of course, he immediately falls in love. And I want to play for you that moment. We get this big chord when he falls in love. And this chord, or similar version of this chord, returns several times at key moments. So here's when we hear this uh, chord the first time. just uh, break that a little bit down for our listeners because uh, it's an excellent point. We hear at the very beginning, remember we heard the C acoustic scale and Alex, the tritone that Alex is talking about is something that sounds like this. It's the most clashing interval two notes that we have in music. And as you mentioned, we hear a tritone here as well. And this is another example of 
polytonality that we were talking about earlier that Bartok uses a lot, but a specific type of polytonality. It's a really interesting chord. So what we hear is this chord. which is the chord that we most associate with expectation in music. We expect this to resolve to here. Resolves to... So we hear that. So that chord is really associated with some feeling of expectation. We can see how that might be an I love you chord. But Bartok has added another note to that to make it crunchingly dissonant. We now hear... And this is something that Bartok does often. We're hearing both the keys of B major and B minor at the same time. This is called, maybe we could call it a major minor chord. And it's really, really clashing dissonant sound. But again, it's a version of that polytonality, two keys going on at the same time. And as a result of adding that tone, we have this super clashing sound that we get from the, from the, uh, from the orchestra here. So in any case, this is, that's all a big digression, but we get this I love you chord. It's a major minor chord filled with expectation. And then he sits down. We get this moment of kind of meditation. Uh, what should I do? And he decides, I'll just go up to her. So he starts running. And let's hear a little bit of that running music as well right after. It's kind of related to that strolling music that we heard earlier. So there he, he's off and running. We actually get even more polytonality there, and we're using kind of a similar mixolydian mode like, like we used before at the very opening of this, this piece. And then we come to the second dance, the dance of the trees, because right when the prince gets there, tries to arrive at the princess's castle, the fairy raises her arms and enchants the forest. And so the forest comes alive and the prince is terrified. And we're going to hear a passage here kind of in the middle of uh, the dance of the trees. And so let's listen to what this second dance sounds like.
All right, so a lot happened in that clip there. I let it play for a little bit because a lot of important music happens. You can hear the trees kind of swirling, and we get this. Um, one thing that we hear right at the beginning is, as Alex mentioned earlier, at the very beginning of the piece, you'll remember again, we heard this scale. That tritone we were talking about. And we hear that here several times. So he's really highlighting that tritone. And here it's specifically those notes that we heard at the opening of C and F sharp. So as we mentioned, that the opening is kind of supposed to be nature. And here, the dance of the trees. No coincidence that we're getting that tritone over and over again. And then we shift. You might have noticed right in the middle of that clip, we get this big shift and it feels like we're in another world. And we've come to... A different mode, this is called the Lydian mode, and this one is the one that sounds really harmonious and optimistic. You'll hear that total change of, of kind of emotion, change of character halfway through this clip. And the interesting thing about the Lydian mode, we hear it, this is the scale that it uses. Right in the middle there, we hear the tritone. But somehow the tritone is no longer, doesn't feel dissonant anymore, it feels harmonious. And so he's transformed that tritone in the middle of that clip to, by using one of these, these cool other modes. Any other thoughts on that dance of the trees? Yeah, there's this amazing section in the middle where, uh, you know, one of the reasons we were saying before that I, I wanted to discuss this piece is because I think it's an amazing way to get into Bartok as he was himself developing his own musical language as a young composer. This is one of his uh, earlier works. He was in, in his 30s. And as he, we were talking that he incorporates these folk music ideas, something else that becomes very prevalent in his music is um, his use of language, of actual, you know, spoken language. And Hungarian is one of those languages that usually uh, the first syllable is the one that receives uh, the stress uh, so you hear this become more and more apparent in a lot of his music later in his life, but in this middle section of the clip we just heard, you hear this very incessant papa, uh, papa, which is the strong we, strong we, which I think is just one more element as we discuss tonality and we discuss form. Uh, now we get this sort of spoken language that becomes just crucially important in, in Bartok's music. Yeah, maybe the most quintessential Bartok rhythm, that of the strong we. And so we'll hear that a lot as well as we go through through this piece. So then the prince has to battle to get out of the forest. Let's hear a little bit of this battle music as well at the end of the Dance of the Trees.
Yeah, so we get a vivid battle scene here. He's using yet another one of those modes. He's now using the Locrian mode, it's called. Different sound world entirely. In fact, we skipped a little music. He goes through the whole tone scale at one point, um, which is another one of the scales we mentioned. So he's really, uh, this is what makes Bartok's music so advanced and complicated in a way is it constantly is shifting and it's the harmonies, the, the actual notes themselves are so complex and advanced. But the prince escapes out of the forest and we come to the third dance, which is the dance of the brook of the stream. Um, because again, the fairy, the prince is going to cross the stream. And again, the fairy thwarts the prince by enchanting the water uh, and making it very wavy and, and turbulent. So let's listen to a little bit of the transition to this, this third dance. So yeah, we hear that transition to the wavy music of the third dance. Again, he's using this, this polytonal system. We hear all of these nice harmonious chords by themselves, but together in sequence, they sound a little, a little odd. And then we hear uh, in the middle of this dance of the waves, we get to hear an instrument that we don't frequently hear in the orchestra, that of the saxophone. But he's included saxophones in the score and I think really effectively, here's this kind of mournful uh, moment where he, he despondently kind of gives up in a way because of the violence of the wave dance. So here's this moment where Bartok introduces the saxophones. Yeah, you know, I think that's a, a great point because we also, we never mentioned the actual date of this piece, Wooden Prince, but it's from 1914 and La Mer was written just about 10 years earlier. And so it's possible that 
Bartok not only know that knew this piece, but was was studying Debussy, and certainly, yeah, this passage sounds very Debussy esque, but also just the use of things like the whole tone scale, the octatonic scale, polytonality. These were all things that Debussy was doing, as well as these other Parisian composers, Stravinsky, Ravel, and so it certainly had a big influence on on Bartok. So. Then the music, uh, the prince tries kind of again to get past the waves to no avail. Um, and I want to play for you a short passage towards the end of this dance where he sees the futile endeavors of his efforts and the waves calm down um, and he goes back and he kind of sits and ponders a little bit more. And here we're going to hear the same or very similar chord to that I love you chord that we heard earlier in the, in the piece. Yeah, so we hear a similar chord there, and again, that tritone, this painful interview, uh, interval, not interview, interval is featured very prominently there. So then he gets an idea. We hear some more of that running music, and here's where he has the idea to make a wooden prince out of himself. And this is one of my favorite passages in the piece. One of the things that I love about Bartok is that he keeps the option available to himself of going to something that we're really familiar with, like major or minor. Take away all of these, this octatonic, whole tone, polytonality, mixolydian business and give us some straight major music. And so this is the first time we really get that in this nice little horn chorale when he sets up his staff so that he can hang his coat on it and create a wooden prince. hear this great folk dance this is really quintessential folk Bartok and again it's in that nice C major key so this is a very vivid sequence then that we get kind of at this for the next few minutes of music we get some we we slip out of major we go back to our whole tone scale our WC scale for a while we get all these different harmonic changes and I want to play one passage in the middle of this long action sequence Here's, I believe this passage is, is that we're going to play is where he stands on a stone and lifts his staff up with his coat on it to try to attract the attention of this princess. So let's listen to that clip as well. 
So there we hear uh, the prince, you know, he gets kind of worked up and he we hear that despair chord again. Now it's it's not only an I love you chord, clearly it's become kind of a despairing chord because she keeps ignoring his advances. She sees this uh, wooden prince with a coat, just a coat, and she ignores it. And so that's when we hear that despair chord and then we hear some of her clarinet music, her motif come again as she ignores it. Then he despairs again. He has a new idea. He has a he adds a crown to the staff. He lifts it up again. She sees it, ignores it. We get a similar despair chord. This whole passage, the next several minutes of music, is very kind of vivid with the action. Then his final idea, which somehow works, is to add a golden lock, one of his golden locks of hair to this wooden prince. And this is the... Uh, this is the key for the princess. She's into the golden locks, apparently. And so this is what finally impels her to come out of her castle, uh, the wooden prince, complete with a coat, a crown, and now a, a golden lock. Any thoughts on that, that big portion of music, most of which we're, we're skipping over? Yeah, well, I think overall, sort of where we've arrived now is the end of what we might call part one of if you can separate this this piece into three parts and you know of course we have the seven dances and this encapsulates the first three dances and something that i i so i feel empowered to talk about bar talk and form today so uh, something that's, i'll mention that's uh, great three dances because he um you know bar talk was very interested in timings and in a lot of his music in the scores you can see he'll write exactly in you know how many minutes and seconds it should take to get from one section to the next and he doesn't quite do that in this piece yet again because i i still think he's developing his his musical language and and the way he wants to approach composition but if you break apart the dances and you sort of think about it in this arch form the first dance breaks down to about five minutes but that also breaks down into half uh, of those five minutes because you meet both the princess and the prince. And then in the second dance, that's also five minutes, but it's one whole idea the, when you get to the trees. So you sort of have the one X, one X in the first dance, and then you get the two X, which is twice as long in the trees. And now when you get to the waves, the third dance, as it leads up into meeting the wooden prince, this is actually about 11 or so minutes which is twice as long as a second dance. So there's this sort of growth in terms of uh, not just the, the intensity of the music, but also in terms of how long it takes us to get from, from one place to the next. So the dances also grow uh, in terms of timings, which I think is something that he was, he was very in tune with. Yeah, I have to tell you, my mind is a little bit blown. I was spending so much time focused on the harmony of this piece that... I pretty much neglected how long it takes or the timings, and that is that's incredible. That and and I I can see it now in in kind of the the arch of when you listen to this piece, you can feel it. This this third section is very long compared to the other two, but that's that's in, incredible. And I, I I wasn't even thinking about it because they're not in this score as you mentioned the specific timings, but Bartok was well known to have. People say he had what's called perfect metronome. If you know what perfect pitch is, it's, you know, that's a phenomenon that's studied all over the place. But perfect metronome is something that 
I think all of us conductors would aspire to, where he could actually tap out a certain number of beats per minute exactly, like 117 beats per minute. And so you often get these incredibly specific metronome markings in Bartok, like quarter note equals 115 or something like that. And it'll say, like you said, this section of music should take 53 seconds. So maybe he wasn't totally uh, attuned to that yet, or at least not writing it in his music, but that's incredible that, that this those three dances double in, in size. Yeah, and we'll, we'll come back to it later, I'm sure, but um, the, the latter part of the piece reflects the first half also. So I just as we sort of have, you know, dived a little bit more into the form, um, so the, the, the last part is, is a reflection of the first half. Everything's just shorter, but it's all proportional to the corresponding dances. So I think that's sort of what creates this amazing, um, you know, pinnacle in the, the middle dance that we're about to get to being the longest dance, but also in the way it approaches it and then comes away from it, all, um, all proportional to each other. My mind is blown, I have to tell you. But if, we're, if our listeners' mind is not blown yet, then this will definitely blow our listeners' mind because for me, this is some of the best music Bartok ever wrote, what we're about to play. This is my favorite movement in the piece. This is when the princess comes out of the castle to meet the wooden prince. So here's some of that music. Yeah, so this is one of my favorite passages, my favorite passage in the piece. Again, we were using this, the same thing that we heard a little bit earlier. If you remember when we went to what was called the Lydian mode, we listened to a clip that shifted. It was sounding a little dissonant, and then it became very optimistic. And we heard the same exact scale of... Where that tritone has been turned into something that doesn't sound as as dissonant. But also, the masterstroke for me here is that Bartok is again using his major minor mode here. So we hear both... Uh, sorry. We hear... And... So we hear this clash. Feels very dissonant in a way, but also... You know, there's this harmonious element to this whole passage, which is, is incredible, I think. And what we haven't talked about yet at all, we're, we're covering all of the bases of, of composition here, is Bartok's incredible orchestration. I really think he's one of the greatest orchestrators. And what we mean by orchestration is, is choice of, 
of instruments and instrument combinations. And so you hear this sparkling technicolor passage that's using the harp, it's using the celeste, all of these interesting instruments. And that comes from just an incredible ability to combine unique instruments into this great, great sound. And so this is one of my, one of my favorite passages. Jacob, I think it, it might be interesting to point out, uh, since you're, you're talking about this um, now less from a, an analytical point, I think Bartok was, as we know, you know, very complex music, very what you might be able to say uh, intellectual approach to, to composing. But with this, the way he thought about orchestration and, and melody, actually, which we, again, don't often associate Bartok uh, <laughs> with, is the fact that he actually, he was very against writing program notes, and he was against sort of giving the listener, uh, the audience, more information than they needed to have, even though it might be interested, interesting to everyone. But he wanted them to really just approach it from a raw emotional sense. So as we discuss and we break down all these things, it's also, I think, interesting to think sometimes that he actually wanted the listener to just deal with the very immediate music rather than the whole thought behind it. And this section, I think, is so amazing at doing that because it doesn't always make you, you know, think of all the compositional approaches, but rather just an incredible, impactful musical moment. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And that's, I mean, I think that's actually, just to digress very briefly, but that's kind of music theory as a as a field of study. It gets a really bad rap in the, uh, you know, in the musical community. Certainly using music terms like that often gets a bad rap outside of the, the musical community. But if you're applying music theory in a in a in the appropriate way or you're using the correct type of musical theory analysis whatever you want to call it it should always be in the service and you should have in the back of your mind why does this sound so good you know we're trying and for me in this case it's it's this orchestration but you don't need to you don't need to know that it's the orchestration to to just enjoy this music it's uh but if we're trying to, you know, discover what makes Bartok so great, it's in it, it's so many things. But it's a, it's a great point. I mean, the best composers you use all of this analysis right in a very advanced way, so that the listener doesn't have to even think about it. It's just an emotional, enjoyable experience. Yeah, and that's what I think makes this a piece like this and Bartok in general so interesting is that you can approach it from from both sides. You can approach it from the very theoretical intellectual way or you can just sit back and and just take the raw emotion in and they're both equally valid and equally uh prevalent in in his compositions yeah it's an excellent point so then so then the fairy our fairy comes back and she animates this wooden staff and so this staff is coming to life this is another really vivid passage a super clear demonstration of this polytonal technique because we hear things super crunched together uh this is a really cool passage as well so let's listen to that (laughs) 
and the next passage we're going to hear actually is the official start of the fourth dance, uh, which if you encapsulate it again in, in this palindrome is the pinnacle of it. It's part two of the three parts. And as we were saying before, the, the buildup starts, uh, you know, from, from the first and second dances elongating into the third dance. And the fourth dance is by far the longest at about maybe 15 or 16 minutes of music, much longer than all the dances, almost as long as, um, you know, the, the entire first three dances uh, combined. And it's the most, probably the most dense in terms of uh, motivic material. So it sort of creates this pinnacle that we've arrived at the middle of, of the whole story. Yeah, and as because it's a long dance, we're going to skip a lot of it. But let's hear a little bit of the beginning of what becomes a very frenzied dance. This is the princess dancing with the actual wooden doll. So here's a little bit towards the beginning of this dance where we get some very frenzied music. Yeah, so there we get another one of Bartok's very rustic sounding dances, and then it gets very frenzied, hectic. This whole passage, this fourth dance, is great writing. There's all of this great orchestration and shifting between these modes seamlessly, like we mentioned. We go through a lot of keys that we're more familiar with, major, major keys, and then we come to this moment, one other moment in this dance that I want to highlight where we, you can really hear very vividly the wooden prints, the wooden element of this. Let's just, one interesting moment of orchestration in the middle of this dance, let's listen to that as well. I think that's a great point and and we played this clip because you can really hear that kind of stilted grotesque element of the prince so it, it this kind of comes to a climax a culmination where we hear a lot of themes that that we've heard already in the piece and then the princess and the wooden prince leave the stage and the prince we hear a lot of this despairing music again and in his pain, he lies down and he sleeps, and the fairy now feels bad, so she comes and consoles the prince. And there's this 
magical passage where her word on her word all of the things around him come to life and move in prayer to the prince and so we hear this kind of almost religious sounding moment and then one of the cruxes of this entire piece the fairy takes this curly piece of golden hair like the lock that he had added to the the wooden prince the one that eventually spurred the the princess to fall in love with the wooden prince and places it on the prince's head puts a crown on the prince and a coat so now he's gonna look like the wooden prince and let's hear a little bit of that music as well which is labeled by Bartok as the great apotheosis and homage to the trees and flowers. So it's kind of this weird, mystical, quasi-religious passage, but also the turning point in this piece. I think that's a great, it's a great point. So this fourth dance 
has ended. We get this apotheosis. And then suddenly the, the princess comes back on the scene with the wooden prince, but all of his limbs have been dislocated. Everything is askew. And so something is clearly wrong here. So let's listen to a little bit of this very askew music when the wooden prince comes back on the stage. Yeah, so something is clearly wrong here. The the wooden prince is a little off. And then we come to the fifth dance where the the princess tugs and tugs at the wooden prince and wants him to dance, dance, but she keeps making these attempts, but the wooden doll becomes more and more pitiful. So let's listen to a little bit of that fifth dance music as well. Yeah, I think that's so I got you now. So the it's the whole thing is an arch in three parts, but the first and the third um sections they're they're reflective of each other. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. But we're also kind of going to get a palindromic structure in certain ways because as we'll see the the ending is like the very beginning, but we don't want to spoil that yet. We have to listen to a reflection of my favorite passage because now the uh, prince, the, I mean the princess looks at the wooden prince angrily but she suddenly sees the prince in this new light now. She's kind of given up on the, the wooden prince and now the prince is standing there with his golden lock and maybe this is a turning point. And so let's hear a little bit of this music as well which reflects that earlier passage the passage that we heard in the Lydian mode, which we're going to hear again here.
So yeah, we hear that vivid passage there as she she tries to entice the prince now with her her kind of seductive dance. But now the the prince is a little guarded. He he makes a defensive gesture and turns away from the princess. And then we come to the the seventh dance. And here the princess is trying to hurry now to the prince, but the forest stops her now. And so let's hear a little bit of the beginning of this this seventh dance as Alex mentioned this is mirroring the third dance, so this is the longest of the three in this, in this last section of the piece. So I'm just noticing now that in addition to just, you know, just sounding, uh, this is being mirroring in terms of length, the third dance, it sounds like the third dance because we're getting this same rhythm that we were talking about and the tritone, the ba-bum, ba-bum. So clearly there's, there's multiple mirror effects going on here that Bartok is, is using. And so... The princess desperately tries to, to get through this, this forest, um, and in desperation, she throws away the crown and coat of this, this wooden prince. She throws away the, the golden lock. She hides her face in her hands. We get some desperation music for the princess that kind of mirrors the desperation music we've heard of the prince. So in addition, if we're talking about all these, these kind of palindromic aspects of the piece... Now the princess is the one who's, who's despairing, battling through the forest. Um, but the prince, of course, comes forward. He sees the grieving princess and goes to her and wants to, to help her. Um, she's kind of ashamed of herself. But at a very important moment in the piece, he goes over and he gives her a hug. And, and this is the moment where they finally, I think, do fall in love. So let's listen to this this key moment where he goes and he he hugs her. So yeah, we hear this very passionate, climactic music 
he brings the saxophones back for this this last climax. We hear again. First, it's this passage is using the octatonic scale, another scale we talked about previously, but that hasn't been used much so far in this piece. And we also hear a kind of D major, D minor. At the same time, this major minor effect that Bartok uses so frequently. It's a, it's a great passage. And another passage that, that, as Alex touched on earlier, kind of just is purely emotional music. Uh, one of these many moments in Bartok where he's writing really expressive, espressivo music, as we, as we call it. Um, the music starts to die down, though, and uh, the instruction in the score says things gradually take on their original form and their original places again. And so I think there's a feeling that almost we've come back to the beginning, this story has closed, and things return to their original place, so almost like like nothing has happened. Um, that's part of this mirror effect, is that we we go back to the to the beginning. And there's some great music towards the end of this piece, but I want to play for you the very ending of this piece because I think it's an incredibly poignant ending where we hear music very similar to, to the opening. Obviously, this this beautiful last section, uh, very closely related uh, thematically, uh, music-wise, to the very beginning section, the the prelude. And uh, again, if if we're thinking form-wise, the postlude being much much shorter than the prelude, just like the third part is a direct reflection of the the first part, just proportionally uh, smaller. So it's in a, in a way almost more intimate the way he finishes it rather than, than how he starts it, where it slowly unravels. Now he quickly just brings you into to an incredible ending. Yeah, and again, a great moment of orchestration. I think this, we hear the celeste and these, these, all these high instruments playing. And as you mentioned, this is using that acoustic scale one more time. Like we heard at the very beginning of this piece. Yeah, it, I find this to be a really poignant cool ending to the piece and it's almost like yeah things go back into their place and because this is so similar to the beginning music it's like oh you could just start over the piece and do this again it reminds me of Strauss's Alpine Symphony which is uh I mean an arch form kind of in many ways because you you climb a mountain but uh you start at night and you end at night with basically the same music. And I've always thought with that piece, you know, you could just play it again and no one would even notice because the ending is exactly like the beginning. So any final thoughts on, on wooden prints? I, I think, you know, there's just so much to digest because it's such an incredible piece. 
now that we're all in quarantine, it's probably the best time we'll ever have to maybe listen to it a couple times. So I, I would highly encourage everyone that, that has the, the time and energy to do it to maybe go through the piece and, you know, in separate sittings and different days, one thinking about it from this very analytical point, but then going back and, and listening to it uh, in the way that Bartok also wanted you to listen to it just from a purely human emotion uh, reaction to, to the literal music. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great point. And I found even just in recording this episode right now, I hadn't really thought much at all about this element of of length, of timings. And so it's such complex music that you can listen, you know, four times just for how it sounds harmonically, and you can listen four times for what happens in the plot and and so, yeah, I, I think it's a good point. This was probably in some ways a more complicated one of our breakdowns and a little more, uh, this is a little bit of a tougher nut to crack. But the great thing about this, as you mentioned, Alex, is that you can also just listen to this piece because it's great music and it's moving and it's uh, it's fantastic to listen to dazzling colors, orchestration. So great pick. I'm, uh, I'm glad you uh, brought this piece to our audience. All right. Well, we'll uh, see all of our listeners soon. Again, big thanks to Alex for joining us. Do you have any uh, big quarantine plans coming up? Uh, maybe a third podcast. Maybe a third podcast. Third, third, third time's a charm, perhaps. Third time's a charm. We'll, we'll get thinking on what, uh, what that might be about, and I'll, uh, I'll do the same, and, and we'll be back with you shortly. Keep an eye out because we have a lot more, more content coming out in the next coming days and weeks and as always thanks for joining us see you soon